This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and even an online store with the Squarespace Commerce feature. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use offer code TREK6. And also by TrekFan. TrekFan isn't just a Star Trek fan club, it's a challenge. You'll explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. To face your first challenge and find out more, head on over to trekfan.org. You're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek comics and books podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he is every week, is my illustrious co-host, Matthew Rushing, who I believe is not so much in the Star Trek mode at the moment, but more the Man of Steel. Sorry, Chris. I just flew right in there. Uh, I was I was getting some water. I just used my super speed to get over here. I almost spilled it all over the computer, but luckily, it's okay. So, folks, don't worry. Um, yeah, no, I I have been in the uh, Man of Steel mode for the last week now. It's been really fun. Um, had a great time watching it a few times. And then Mike and Max from Commentary Track Stars sent me the uh, one sheet movie poster so it's up in my room now so very exciting awesome very exciting great film if you haven't seen it go see it you'll enjoy it i have no idea when that's even opening here in japan if it's anything like into darkness i don't know it's probably coming out like next february yeah man of man of december (laughs) (laughs) maybe (laughs) man of next august (laughs) Uh, something like that all right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump in here. We don't have much news this week, so we're going to be joined shortly by author William Leisner to talk about his new book, The Shocks of Adversity, as well as you know how he got into writing for Star Trek and just writing in general. But before we do that, we have a few comic items to go over this week, Matthew. And it looks like the first one is just a quick update for everyone that according to Things from Another World, ongoing number 22 is going to be dropping on June 26th. So uh, if you're listening to this show, it'll be the upcoming Wednesday. It was supposed to be out this past week, but um, it's not. So we're hoping IDW gets back on schedule with that soon. Yeah, Chris, I'm just... um ready for this one to come out um ready for to see what happens next hopefully this really will come out next week because uh it would give us a great opportunity to be able to talk about it actually next thursday so got our fingers crossed to your folks uh cross you cross them with us um all week so 
just make sure it happens. Well, we're going to have a lot of comic stuff to talk about next week because when we record next week's show, I will finally have actually seen Into Darkness and we'll be able to talk about these After Darkness comics. Which is exciting, Chris. You know, maybe we won't have a lot of news and we can actually get you give us a mini review or something, uh, what your thoughts <laughs> maybe. were. Uh, the next thing, Chris, I'm really excited about was to see uh, the September solicitations for IDW. And the first one was Star Trek Ongoing 25. Um, now, this is supposed to come out in September, so hopefully it will. But uh, this one looks pretty crazy, Chris. What do we got going on in 25? Well, and of course, this will make more sense to me after I see Into Darkness, I'm sure. But it seems that the Klingon and Romulan empires are going to go and fight it out for supremacy. Yeah. And of course, as you would expect, the Enterprise crew is going to be caught right in the middle of that. Well, it, it's kind of not really yet. It seems like a Star Trek show or a comic or something without the Enterprise right in the middle. Um, they they really <laughs> right. seem to not be able to... Um, yeah, they just it's bad news for those guys. Uh, they're always caught in the middle of something. They're the only ship in the quadrant, yet they're always right in the middle of the action in the quadrant. Exactly. They, you know, um, <laughs> it's it's the it's bad luck. I think the Enterprise itself is like a bad penny. It always turns up at the worst moment. So maybe it's cursed that ship. Who knows? Could be. <laughs> so. In this one, the Klingon and Robulans are going to fight. Uh, it's written by Mike Johnson. Erfan Fajar is going to come back to do the artwork and also the cover. And there's going to be a sketch version of the cover. And as for when it will actually drop in September, we'll have to update you when more information comes out. Because as we just mentioned with Ongoing 22, IDW still hasn't really worked out their schedule problems that have been going on since last autumn. Yes. So hopefully this will come out. Um, on time, you know, I'm loving the series and it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun and I'm really excited, you know, as we have to wait now for whenever that next movie was going to come out, which is probably somewhere around 2015 or something. Cause I think they really want to have it out for the next big Star Trek birthday. Um, hopefully yeah. that's when the next movie come out. So ongoing comics will just keep us tied over until then. Definitely. So another item which we've talked about a little bit in the past is the newspaper strips volume two. And I guess the uh, efforts to collect these strips has been working out pretty well for the publisher because according to Amazon, it looks like this is going to be available in early October. Yeah, this is really exciting. They also have created um, a new cover for this, and uh, I really like it. It looks really good. Um, it's a lot like the cover from the first book um, and uh, has some great new artwork with it. And I, I just have not gotten my hands on the first um, version of this yet, uh, the first volume, excuse me. And so uh, I really need to do that because I would love to go back and see uh, just these old comics. Uh, and, uh, you know, this was one of the very few places uh, that you could get Star Trek like this at that time period. So it'd be really exciting to be able to see uh, just some of the fun storylines, interesting storylines, I'm sure crazy storylines that they'd come up for, for, you know, daily newspapers. Well, I'm just wondering, you know, comic strips in the 70s, I'm wondering if they ever had a little crossover where, Kirk was having to deal with 
a jealous crew member, you know, as he was courting the the Cation females on the ship. And that crew member, kind of like JJ has Keenzer now, it was actually Garfield. And it was like a crossover where Garfield would climb out of the frame from his comic below up into the Star Trek comic. Yeah. Um, You know, I was just thinking about that because I was wondering if actually Ziggy and Keenzer are related. (laughs) And so... I was thinking about Ziggy also. Yeah, so it just seems like there could have been a lot of crossover potential here. I'm really waiting for them to to pull out those, uh, you know, daily strips for Boozum Buddies, though. I I really miss those. (laughs) Uh, They just need to be collected because they're priceless artifacts. They were really popular in the mid-80s. Yes, so good, so good. So um, this one will be exciting. It it, it does look like um, it, it will be coming out in early October, and um, you're going to get 10 complete missions from October 26th, 1981 through December 3rd, 1983. And so uh, this is going to be another great book for your collection for those of you who really love Star Trek comics and those of you just interested in seeing Star Trek progress from, you know, the original series, then through the movies. And, you know, the, this is before I think the novels really had completely taken off the way they have now. And so this is really cool. Yeah. And one thing that stands out to me in this is that one of the stories in the comic strips here is actually written by Larry Niven. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think that that's really great to see uh, the fact that they were trying to get um, as popular, as good of authors as possible uh, connected with Star Trek to do this. So and this is fantastic. Yeah, very, very cool. All right. Well, that's all we have in news for this week. But Matthew, before we jump into the interview with William, let's tell everyone a little bit about our sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, a blog, a portfolio, and with the new commerce feature that they added recently, you can even have an online store up and running in just a matter of minutes. And, you know, as a designer myself, what I love about Squarespace and the reason that I have been a Squarespace customer for the last five or six years is that they really care about design. Not only is it fast and easy to use and build a website with Squarespace, they have beautiful templates that are designed by professional designers that you can use as a starting point for your website or your blog and really make the site your own. And you do it all using a technology that they call Layout Engine. Matthew, can can you tell us a little bit about what Layout Engine is? Sure can, Chris. It's really cool. Layout Engine uh, technology gives you the freedom to create a visually rich page that uh, configures the text, the images, the, the products, and, and you know those content blocks, you simply drag your content exactly where you want it, and then they'll automatically align them in a perfect grid. And if you're like me and you're not somebody who's really web savvy, this is perfect. Um, it, you know, like you said, the layouts are beautiful, and just being able to put things where I want them and kind of rearrange them by dragging and dropping is fantastic. It and is. then what's great about this, Chris, is it's got responsive design. Uh, Squarespace website has its own unique mobile design so that your site automatically 
scales. So if somebody's looking at it, their iPhone, it's going to look one way. If it, you look at it on your iPad, it's going to look another. And if you look on the desktop, you're going to have that full site. But this way, people don't miss the content. It's created specifically for the device they're looking on, which is really important in today's mobile world. Another thing I wanted to mention this week, because we don't really talk about this feature very often, is the developer platform. Because you know, some of you may be listening and you may be thinking that, you know, this drag and drop, it's all great for the average person, but I'm a web developer and I like to have absolute 100% control. I like to write my code by hand. I like to write my own custom CSS. I want to be able to, you know, have FTP access where I can upload and, and download files back and forth uh, as I please uh, with a traditional, you know, file folder structure. Well, you can do that with Squarespace as well. In addition to the uh, drag-and-drop system that we talk about most of the time, Squarespace actually does have a developer's platform that gives you complete control over the display of your website. It gives you complete control over every line of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. It has Git and SFTP, Secure FTP. It also has version control. That comes standard. It has developer tools like less pre-processing, JSON templating, you know, script comboing. It gives you retina-ready responsive image handling, which is really important these days as more and more displays become retina quality. And, uh, and a great thing about the Squarespace developer platform is that developer accounts are free. They never expire while in development. And you can take as much time as you want developing the website before you launch it, and you don't pay anything until you're ready to launch the website. And then once you're ready, the pricing starts at $16 per month when you go live. It's very, very affordable. It's a great way for you to take advantage of all the power of Squarespace that we normally talk about while you maintain complete control as the developer and you're not having to put out money during that development process either. So it's a fantastic option for you if you are a developer and and you think Squarespace sounds great but maybe you you are concerned that it might limit you. Trust me, Squarespace will not limit you. You can do absolutely anything you want to with this platform. And you know, the best thing about Squarespace is that they take care of hosting, they take care of SEO, your search engine optimization, and they give you this incredible CMS all in one package, and they back it by what is, and I really mean this, the best 24-hour, seven-day-a-week support that you'll find anywhere. Squarespace has always been incredibly responsive when I've needed their help with anything. They usually respond to me in two minutes or less. They have helped me with issues that really weren't even their concern, but they stick with me until I get it resolved, uh, that the nicest people, the best support that I've ever experienced with any company, maybe Apple would be the other company that I've had the same kind of experience with, wonderful experience. So go try it. You can try it for free, 14 days. They don't ask you for a credit card. You just give them your name and an email address. They set up the trial site for you using that information. You have access to all the features of Squarespace for 14 days. And then after that, when you sign up as a Trek FM listener, you can save 10% on your lifetime purchase on all new accounts. And to do that, just go to squarespace.com. And when you sign up, use offer code TREK6 to save 10%. And you'll be supporting our sponsor and helping us bring this programming to you every week. 
tonight we're really excited to have Bill Leisner on, uh, who's written several Star Trek stories. Uh, he's also a three-time winner of the Strange New Worlds writing competition, which is very exciting. Also lives in my own stomping grounds of uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Bill, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you on. Um, just finished Shocks of Adversity today and really enjoyed it. But um, this is our first time on, on Literary Trek, so I always love hearing just about, for you as a person, what was your first introduction to Star Trek? Uh, I had to have been around seven or eight years old back when the original series was running in syndication. So it was like every Saturday night at 7 o'clock, I was there in front of the television watching, you know, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. And uh, the uh, animated series was first running at that right around the same time and enjoying that. And, yeah, so basically, you know, from a very young age, I've been a fan of the series. For you, um, did uh, TOS end up staying your favorite series? TOS still has a very special place in my heart. Uh, I would have to say, if I had to pick a favorite series, uh, Deep Space Nine. Who? Excellent. <laughs> I mean, you know, Deep Space Nine really just you know stretched the boundaries of what Star Trek was. It yeah. was, you know, the best written and best, you know, plotted of the series in my mind. And as far as I'm concerned, that's really the best. Uh, but, you know, TOS still has a very special place in my heart, as does, you know, the next generation. You know, it's interesting. Matthew and I, Deep Space Nine is our favorite series, both of us. And I'm noticing more and more when we ask people, what is your favorite series these days? We are hearing DS9 so much more often, especially from writers. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, the writers really respond to the writing of the show. And, I mean, I, I look at that show and I think, wow, I wish I could write that well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, for us, um, for me, I, I watched, you know, TOS and reruns really enjoyed that but it was uh, deep space nine uh that kind of really captured my imagination and i'm you know i don't know why but i think it's probably just that depth of writing from the very beginning um and so that's really cool to hear um i i, I love that when uh when people uh give the kind of red-headed stepchild as we've been known for mm -hmm. so long uh, <laughs> some love so that's awesome um well, I, which what makes me wonder, like, you know, Bill, why haven't you written any uh, Deep Space Nine books? I mean, it's your favorite series. Uh, Got to get Pocket to get you into some Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I mean, basically it comes down to Pocket hasn't asked me to do any Deep Space Nine uh, books. Uh, I Let me see. I, I've touched on Deep Space Nine and some other works of the... Uh, the t the uh, next generation ebook that I did the slings for slings and adversity series right that right. was kind of that was a tie in to the deep space nine episode the muse that uh mm -hmm. Loxana Troy had been a guest star on and so I had a follow it was a follow up basically to that episode and Oda was part of it so 
you know, but you know, I would love to be able to do a Deep Space Nine book story something. Just opportunity just ha- just hasn't cropped up. Maybe someday. Well, I mean, we you know we've got David doing the stories. Um, you know, it'd be great if you guys could alternate. Then um, that way we could maybe get two Deep Space Nine books a year. Uh, it's not too much to ask. <laughs> Come on, Pocket, you can do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, for for you when it when it came to writing, uh, what was it that that got you into writing? Um, how did you stumble into that? Was it something you always knew you wanted to do, or um, did it just come out of the blue? Well, uh, I first really got into uh, pursuing writing uh, when I was a freshman in college. Uh, my freshman year, they uh, I went to Ithaca College, and they have their own television radio program, and they had their own cable television station. Uh, my freshman year, they were just starting up a series of original scripts, films that they were you know, going to be putting on the air that following spring semester. And I decided I would like to give that a try. So I went and I went to the school library, pulled out a, a book on how to write a script, put together a script, submitted it, and they and the producers running the show came to me and said, we like this, we want to produce this. And that was the first time that I, anybody ever said, you know, this writing is good. We like it. We want you to do mm. more of it. And so from there, I did more script writing. And then at that time, uh, Next Generation and DS9 was just getting off the ground at that point, And they were taking unsolicited, unagented scripts. And so I wrote a spec script for Deep Space Nine, sent it off. And I uh, got an invitation to pitch to Deep Space Nine. And from there, <laughs> so I, I, I pitched a couple times to uh, Deep Space Nine and then to Voyager. Uh, nothing really came of it. And by that time, I got involved in the uh, online Trek fandom and got involved in uh, fan fiction. You know, so I decided, well, I've done some scripts, let me try doing it in prose form, got into a couple of zines back in the days when they were actually printed on paper still, and and then that leads to Strange New Worlds. Excellent. And that's when the contest started, and I submitted to the contest, and the rest is history. So you followed, uh, you were published in Strange New Worlds 2, 4, and 5, right? 2, 4, and 5, yes. You followed kind of the same path that Dayton followed where you got there three times and they said, hey, you can't write for us anymore in here because you've sold three times. So why don't you write some uh, some other stuff for us? Right, exactly. And uh, so it was from there that I got my first uh, sale for the... Uh, Starfleet Corps of Engineers ebook series that was going at that time. I uh, wrote a couple of ebooks for the. Uh, well, I wrote one for the Starfleet Corps of Engineers, and then I wrote the other ebook for the Slings and Arrows, the TNG 20th Anniversary series. And from there, I did the uh, short novel uh, in 
uh, Infinity's Prism, the myriad, myriad universes, and then got my first full novel, uh, Losing the Peace. Awesome. F- for you, uh, writing uh, Star Trek characters and... Um... What are your uh, what what is your favorite series to write and and do you have a favorite character that you just really enjoy writing? I would have to say my favorite series to write has been Next Generation. Uh, favorite character, I you know I I'm really hesitant to just to say any character because I try to you know give each of the characters as much of a, a voice and a you know trying to write them as well as I can. Uh, I will say that writing Bones in the uh, Shocks of Adversity was a lot of fun just because Bones is the character who can just pretty much say anything that he wants to say. I think that's probably why I like him so much yeah. uh, in the in, you know the movies and, and just as a character in general is, is that ability to, you know, he can be, he can say anything to Kirk um, he can or say Spock. Anything. And he doesn't care, and he's going to say it whether you like it or not. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Well, you know, talking about uh, following up uh, Destiny with losing the peace, what was that like? You know, David creates this massive, you know, cataclysmic event, and then, you know, you're tasked with uh, following it up. And, you know, you're following the Enterprise at that point. And it's a very Beverly-centered book as well, which I was very happy about. Um, what was that like? That was uh, really interesting to do because it was Margaret Clark who was editing the TNG line at that point, And she came to me. And I had, I don't think I had heard anything about the Destiny trilogy or just, you know, very some very basic things. David was still in the process of writing them at the time. And so she basically said, you know, this is a major cataclysmic thing. This is our equivalent of the best of both worlds. And so what I would like from you is the novel equivalent of Family, that that episode that followed right after the best of both worlds. And so, yeah, and it was really great in that, you know, I got to work you know, emailing back and forth with David Mack, uh, with Christopher Bennett, who was doing the Titan book, with Kirsten Beyer, who was doing the Voyager book. So, yeah, I mean, so, and you know, it was a lot of fun to just, you know, I had come, I had come late to that group. Uh, the other three follow-up novels had been uh, scheduled before I had joined the group. But you know, it was really great to be able to join into that group and just throw back, throw ideas back and forth. And what are you doing in your book? How about if I build off of that? How about if I, you know, foreshadow what's happening here? And so that was it. Was a really a great experience doing that. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I really liked about uh, you know the pre-destiny then post-destiny um, that you know that really tight group of novels is it it really did feel uh like it worked together to tell a really massive story um Mm -hmm. you know the build-up to destiny and then the aftermath and you know uh which led to the typhon pact uh and uh everything that's going on now uh with the fall coming out and so just a really well done story and 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 which is it's strange to have so many different authors writing so many different books and have it actually 
fit so well. So I, I give right. you guys a lot of props because I, you know, I read a lot of tie-in novels, and uh, you know, not all the series that I've read have been able to do that as well. I think as you guys have, um, and really make that sync well because uh, that's tough. Yeah, and a lot of credit goes, a lot of credit goes to the other four uh, for you know being willing to just you know work together. I mean, it was really you know us making sure that we were all in sync. So that was a really great experience. Awesome. Well, your newest book is TOS and um, what is it like? And this is, this is something that I've um, been looking at it as I'm thinking about and reviewing the novels for the site, but how hard it must be. And, and tell me how hard it is to write these characters and try and do something that I haven't seen before, you know, when, you know, we've read 700 plus Star Trek books and, uh, you know, more than half of those are probably TOS. Uh, what is that like to try and get into that, especially during, you know, the five-year mission, the first one? Yeah, that is extremely difficult. It's extremely, you know, that is constantly in the front of your mind thinking, what can I add here that hasn't already been done in the 30 plus years of published fiction that, that these characters have been in. And, you know, I, I was actually talking to uh, David George when I first got the assignments, you know, saying that, and he goes, you know, what, well, how do you think I felt having to write that massive trilogy that he wrote for the 40th anniversary, the Crucible one? Yeah. So, I mean, and it's the balancing act between trying to do something that is faithful to those characters as we've known them for 40-some years and trying to do something that isn't, oh, this is the same old thing. So, yeah, I mean, it was extremely challenging to find that balance between the familiar and the unique one of the things that I noticed uh, in in your book, and then I've noticed, I, I think really too in David George's uh, book that just recently came out, that was TOS, um, is this uh, you know Kirk really struggling through um, command, the burden of command, and the decisions he's had to make along the way, and watching in in your book and especially David's book. Um, dealing with some of the decisions he's made along the way that, you know, we as fans look back on and think, oh, that might not have been the best idea, Kirk. And so that now that you guys are writing, you're you're having Kirk look back and say, you know, like maybe what he did with Landrew, not maybe the best idea. Um, or he's still not sure if it's really the best idea. Tell me about trying to, I don't know if retcon's the right word, but have... Kirk become a more fully rounded character than, you know, just what we get in TOS. Yeah, I mean that that's the idea is to make him a little more fully ground fully rounded than, you know, you really were presented with in a nineteen sixties adventure action adventure series where he was, you know, the lead and he was always, you know, the cocksure hero and, you know, of course that's the kind of stereotypical view of Kirk that's kind of come into the fore and kind of is more is what kind of what we see with the Chris Pine uh, version of Kirk. Right. And 
But it's a lot more interesting to have a character who has those internal conflicts, who, you know, on the outside may seem very sure of himself and very, you know, commanding and out there in front of his troops. But knowing that in private, you know, he's looking back at these things and saying, am I really making the right decision here? And if I make the wrong decision, what does that mean for these other people underneath me who are following me blindly like I know what I'm doing? So, you know, I mean, and that's what makes Kirk interesting. I mean, if he was a, a one-note, you know, action hero, that's just not interesting, especially when you're trying to write a 300-plus page novel. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Um for for you, um, you know, writing this story, you did get to um, have the the trinity of Spock and, and Bones and, and Kirk really working together and and really taking care of one another. Just talk to me a little bit about what it's like to write those guys and and have them really be you know that family that they can't get anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they really are, you know. The classic archetype, this that trinity, that trinity of friends, and you know, I when I first approached the story and trying to figure out what the story was going to be, it was about Kirk basically not having anybody, and that's why he connects uh, with Laspis uh, as strongly as he does because he realizes that you know he doesn't really have the kind of close friends he had or you know, as the captain of the ship. And so it was really important to have him rediscover the strength of that friendship with himself and Spock and McCoy, and also, you know, Spock and McCoy together, realizing, you know, we have to be work together to support our friend Jim. Yeah, and I, I really, you know, I really responded to seeing um, the way that, you know, Kirk and Spock go about this. You know, Spock, uh, there's ways that he, he knows that the captain needs to be taken care of, and yet he can't do it, so he brings McCoy in, and mm-hmm. um, they just know each other's strengths, and, and it's really, uh just goes a lot to show, I think, how important it is to have these kind of people in your life, uh, whether you're a starship captain or not. Right. Um you know somebody keeping you accountable but also somebody there when you can't tell that you're run down and and you need rest um and so i thought that was really cool and in the the story well for you you know in in the in the book the enterprise comes across the goeg domain and it first it looks a lot like another federation and what was kind of the inspiration for the for this story uh in the shocks of adversity uh, well, funnily enough, uh, this basic idea started life as an idea for Voyager, where I was, I don't think that this was actually a novel idea, I think this was just a thought experiment, I, I you know, I don't remember the exact genesis, but I think it was a thought experiment of, what would I do if I were the showrunner on Voyager? And, you know, this was like, maybe around the fifth, sixth year, and I thought that, you know, they were kind of, they were getting into an al- the alien of the week type of situation where they were running into one set of aliens. 
then moving on across this vast Delta Quadrant and kept meeting all these different aliens. And I thought, you know, well, if I were going to run the show, I would have them run into another large governmental entity like the Federation that they had to get across this this large parcel or area of space, and they had to, you know, create an alliance with this native government. And my idea was to see, you know, to see that relationship between Voyager and the natives throughout the course of a season, like do a season-long arc of that. So that was that was the thought I'd, experience I had, and then when it came time to do, you know, this novel, I thought, well, you know, Voyager, Voyager they, they put Voyager on the other side of the galaxy because they wanted to get more to the, you know, unexplored territory feeling of the original series. So I said, well, let's right. transplant that idea into the TOS era, put the Enterprise way out in the middle of nowhere, far beyond Federation space, which, you know, in, in 23rd century terms, 100 light years away is pretty much the equivalent of the Delta Quadrant. I, and I transplanted this, you know, this new pseudo-Federation into, uh, into the going domain and to just see, you know, how would the Enterprise would interact with these people creating this alliance and then realizing these probably aren't the best people to be in bed with. Right. Yeah. I, it was, it was funny because, you know, reading throughout the book, um, I, I really, you know, you knew something was off and you weren't quite sure how it was going to manifest itself. And then it just kind of slowly starts seeping out and like the attitudes of characters and, you know the different races and everything and I, I thought it i i liked the way that you you, you knew this was going to go badly but i wasn't quite sure how it was going to happen and it made me wonder you know just in general why do you think you know we see all the races in the federation and and, and they really work together well um they're able to give each other uh, it seems like enough grace to live side by side, work side by side, not be so prejudiced against one another, even though, you know, obviously <laughs> the interplay between McCoy and Spock shows you that there's still something there. You know, what do you think makes it the Federation so special in the sense that it doesn't seem like anybody else in the galaxy can pull this off? That, that's a very good question. That's one that I was interested in trying to explore a little bit with the book because, you know, at the beginning of the book, you have all the different races of the Greg domain who are working together, you know, seemingly, you know, harmoniously. And, you know, and then, you know, you have, I hope, I hope that your listeners don't mind the spoilers. It's going to be dropping here. <laughs> That's okay. okay. And then, so you have the uh, dinner scene where uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy come over to the going ship and, they basically think that the Federation is exclusively human, and they don't really recognize immediately that Spock is not just a human with pointed ears. He's actually a whole different species. And then Kirk has to explain, uh, yeah, we have a whole lot of species. Uh, we have one Katian on the ship, and we have one Vulcan on the ship, and yeah, everybody else is human, but we're really integrated. <laughs> so the, he's kind of put on the defensive there. Right. 
I thought that was kind of a, you know, interesting way to just mirror the fact that while over the past 40 years of the, the franchise, we've kind of retconned the idea that, you know, there are a lot of other species on the Enterprise, even though we only ever saw humans. Right. And a couple of other aliens in the, in the animated series. And so I, so I just wanted to explore that a little bit and, you know, the attitudes of why there was, why, you know, why we didn't see it. And, you know, also reflecting a little bit of the fact that we, in the year 2013, look back in the 60s and congratulate ourselves on how far we've come. But, you know, in a lot of ways, we still have some ways to go. Yeah, there there is still racism. There is still, you know, prejudice that we constantly have to keep our eye open for, and that was also something that I was trying to, you know, touch a little bit on with the whole theme of the interspecies uh, cooperations. Well, and then too, on top of that, you know, you really dealt with this idea of, um, you know, trust and cross-cultural issues that happen when when we have different values with somebody and and then kind of the idea of how far is too far when it comes to tolerating a culture you know because kirk mm-hmm. only will go so far and, and and in this book you know he goes uh, a lot farther because you get to dive in then you know you might see him in an episode he's a little bit more giving um, you know, whereas in an episode, he just kind of smacks you down, tells you you're wrong, and then hit, tells it to the next system <laughs> to do the same thing. Yeah, right. um, and so uh, just talk to me a little bit about that, because I thought that that was a really interesting point to bring out. And there's not necessarily an answer to it, but it's a really big issue, especially in, in the kind of multicultural world that we live in, where it's getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, uh, I mean, that was very much a question, uh, a theme that I was working with. You know, you're going, you know, you have the the Federation that's going out to find, you know, new life and new civilizations. But how do you react to them once you meet them? You know, do you right. either, you know, put out your hand of friendship and expect them to be exactly like you and agree with you in everything? Or do they, you know act belligerently and then you decide oh they're our enemy and we're, we have to treat them like they're the Klingons or the Romulans you know so it's like it takes time to get to know anybody any stranger let alone a completely different species right. trying to look you know and to understand them you, you, you don't instantly understand people and how much benefit of the doubt do you give people when you first run into them and find, you know, this attitude isn't what our attitude is, and they view something, you know, this way, and something that I, you know, something I say, you know, in a kind of an offhanded way is taken a lot more seriously by them. So it was very much a question, uh, you know, what, that was very much a theme that I was exploring. Is like, how much do you trust a person? or a group of people, how far do you take that trust? How much do you try to put your own prejudices aside and trying to understand them? And at what point do you have to say, okay, what you're doing may be 
perfectly fine in your society, but I can't really go along with that anymore. Right. Well, and and in that point, you do have to make the decision of saying, I think that what I'm valuing is is better than what you're valuing. Um, Right. and, And make that decision. And that's a, you know, that's a really touchy, touchy issue in, in our world today um, Absolutely. to say anything like that. And, and you know, uh, especially TOS was never afraid really to say, no, there's a there's a better way. It's our way. Um, and uh, it, it was interesting to watch. I think Kirk really wrestled through that issue in this book and not just immediately want to do what you do in TOS in the beginning, which is to say, Oh no, our way is better. We're just going to tell you how to do it. You know, he's actually having to ask that question. And so it makes it really interesting um, to, to hear that in, in his thought life and uh, how he's interacting with these aliens. So uh, especially since today, you know, we don't live in as black and white a world as we used to. Well, on, on the book and um, you know, kind of, uh, looking at the the whole thing together, I, I was really interested as well to see you getting to uh, give each of the the minor characters something to do. Um, and uh, tell me about kind of writing for them because you know that's a hard thing in a TOS book. Everybody wants a book about Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, um, but at the same time, I felt like. Scotty had something to do in this book. I felt like, um, you know, Sulu, Chekhov, even Christine Chapel or Hura, they all had some good stuff in this. So talk to me about trying to sparse that out and actually, you know, make them more fully rounded characters as well. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, it was, it was, like you say, it was a little bit difficult, but in a lot of ways, it was also a lot easier because you don't, you haven't had the same kind of focus and development on. Sulu and Chekhov and Scotty over the course of the publishing history that you had on the major three characters. So there are little corners, there were little corners to explore about, you know, what's it like to be the the ensign that has to follow along behind Sulu all the time, and what's it like to be the communications officer who maybe doesn't get to involve herself in too many things and you know, she got to be a lot more active in this, you know, dealing with the communication, uh, bridging the communication gap between the two crews and getting to, you know, have an interpersonal relationship. And so, I mean, it, and, you know, Christine Chappell, uh, I don't know how many Christine Chappell stories there are out there, but I, I'm pretty sure it can be counted on the fingers of probably one hand, if not you know, two at the most. but Unless you're counting uh, pure fan fiction and that there are probably quite a lot of them. Unless you're pr- counting pure fan fiction, then <laughs> yeah. we won't go there. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's something I like to do is to just, I mean, to get into those little character moments and explore, you know, those kind of quieter moments that aren't, you know, the space battles and the... Uh, you know, political machinations and all that. Right. Well, and, you know, too, if you have a you know, a greater connection with, with the characters in the story, not just, the, you know, our main hero characters, but in the, the people on the other side, it really makes what's going to happen action-wise later even in more important. Um, you, you feel it a lot more. Uh, and so I really liked that you spent time developing the the characters we saw on the other side uh on the goeg domain 
just tell me a little bit about what it was like to create those different characters, you know, the chief, um, Lapis, uh, and, and the others. Uh, that, was, that was kind of uh, an issue. That was kind of, you know, a challenge because I, I went back and forth as I was writing, thinking, do I want to get into the viewpoint of the aliens and, you know, get into how they are seeing... Kirk and Spock and the crew, or but in, or do I want to keep them as mysterious as I can so that you know we don't find out more about them until it's you know Kirk who's peeling the layers of the onion to get down to who they are. Uh, it was I, you know with Lapis I wanted to have somebody who was very much cut from the same mold as Jim Kirk and somebody who he would immediately connect with as, you know, this fellow starship captain who, you know, has been through a lot of the same things that he's been through and who he could right. connect with and share. You know, he he was able to actually open up about, you know, his doubts about, you know, previous message or previous missions and say, I've never told anybody that before. Right. And then you had uh Nami who uh I don't I don't I don't want to really get into that spoiler since that comes right at the very end of the book. But who right. has the connection with Spock be, being, you know, the highest ranking non goig on the ship and just looking at him and seeing how high he's risen and you know admiring him and at the same time kind of being revolted by him because he's a half-breed. And then the Dr. Dash, uh, Deschel and Christine uh, Chapel relationship, that was, that was, that was fun to do uh, just because, you know, Chapel has never really, you know, like I said, we haven't really had a Chapel-centric story, and, you know, it's nice. I want to get, like, a little extra dimension of her and bringing in and bringing in this doctor who is very much a doctor, a healer, and is just a little bit conflicted by what he knows are the flaws. You know, he's loyal to his society, but he can still see the flaws in them. Yeah, that's what I think uh, I really liked about the book is that I felt like, you know, when we were dealing with these characters by the end, um, I, I cared about what was going on on the other side and I, I, you know, I didn't want to see them, you know, kind of make that turn where they're just going to be the bad guys. And I think that's really successful writing that you're, oh, come on guys, don't do that. You know, like come to the light side, you know, join, join, join us on the good side, you know, and, and, uh, and, and of course don't want to give anything away for the, for the end of the book, but you know, it's a great ending, I think. And so, um, I liked the way that you put that together. Yeah, I didn't want, you know, also didn't want them to turn out to be, oh, you were evil all along. Because, of course, you know, that would make Kirk turn out to be an idiot for being fooled right. by them for the first right. like, three quarters of the book. Oh, my gosh, you were evil. I must destroy <laughs> you now. Oh, definitely. And, no, I mean, and, you know, and... That's what make you know, like I was saying with the character work before. That's what make character interesting. You know, most most people are not pure good or pure evil. They have their own motivations. They have their own 
you know, beliefs and what it, I mean, and they, for the most part, they do what they think is in the best interest. You know, I forget who said, whose quote it is, but it's everybody is the hero of their own, of their own story. Right. Right. These are people who are, you know, just trying to do the best that they can according to their own beliefs. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, for for you as a as an author, this is one of the things that I always really enjoy asking um, as we kind of go towards the end. What is it that uh, you really enjoy reading? Uh, you know, if you just peruse a bookstore, uh, if you go to your local Barnes and Noble or something like that, what is it that you really enjoy? Um, and then two, really feel like helps make you a better writer as well. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I try to read uh, a variety of things, although I do tend to gravitate towards mysteries and crime novels. And of course, I have I have I read the Star Trek novels to keep up on that. Although I have not read a lot of the more recent ones because I was in the Star Trek writing mode, and right. you don't want to be influenced like by that while you're writing. But yeah, mysteries and science fiction is why gravitate most towards uh, as far as what I read and how it influences me as a writer I'm uh, you know I don't really think of it consciously I know that as I read I'm absorbing it on a subconscious level and I do at you know there are points where I'm writing my own work and I'll you know, write a sentence or a paragraph, and I'll go back and read it and go, oh, that sounds a lot like, you know, so-and-so that I had just read recently. Or So, you know, it's, uh, you know, not really a conscious effort to emulate anyone, but it just, you know, seeps into the brain. Right. Well, and it's funny because, you know, I just find that happens personally as... You know, somebody who, you know, I have a blog writing reviews. And so, you know, just kind of reading online and, and reading books in general. Uh, for me, I just find it helps me just the with the the flow of the writing, how to create the arguments um, and, and, and have them, you know, make sense. And so all those things put together really help by reading somebody who's really good, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and then taking those processes and, okay, this is how you build a, a good argument, you know, this is how you build a, a great sentence, uh, you know, and all those kind of things and putting it together. It's for me, it's been really helpful to to, ha- to do that kind of thing. And so it's a lot of fun. Well, the last thing I always want you to be able to tell us what you're working on next, where the listeners can follow you and all that kind of information. It's just your spot to, to let us know what's going on with Bill. Okay, well, uh, I've just recently uh, completed a short story uh, for uh, a newish uh, fantasy series being done by Crazy A Press called Redeos. Uh, it was created by Bob Greenberger, Star Trek uh, veteran, and Aaron Greenberger. Uh, and it's a uh, fantasy, a shared world fantasy world where all of the gods of all the ancient uh, peoples have all come back at once and they are all, they've taken their old uh, ancestral lands called all the 
all their followers back to their to these ancestral lands. So all the the Greek gods are calling Greek Greco Roman gods are calling all of the people of Greek and Italian heritage back to the Mediterranean. All the Native Americans are back in charge of North America, and it's basically exploring 20 year period from 2012 when they show up again to 2032 and just all these different gods and how people are reshaping society and interacting with gods and interacting with these new faiths and how Christianity deals with the fact that all of these ancient gods are back but our god is nowhere to be seen still. Interesting. So uh, there's uh, the second of the short story collections just came out in May, and the third one will be out in August. So that was my most recent project. Uh, at the moment, I'm, I've got a fantasy historical novel, which is uh, it's a fantasy that's set in uh, the Old West, uh, pre-Civil Wars, like right around the time of the Gold Rush, uh, that I don't oh, want to spill cool. too much about, but uh, that's a novel that I was uh, have been working on, and I have to get back to uh, actually rereading it and rewriting it at this point. And uh, you know that's what's going to be my focus probably for the next half of this year. Plus, you know other awesome. other stories and novels that I have percolating on the back burners. That's great, and then of course, uh, Shocks of Adversity is out now. Uh, and then, are, do you have anything uh, Star Trek-wise that will be coming up for us? I uh, don't have anything uh, in the pipeline yet for Star Trek, but uh, never say never. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's good to hear. Hopefully you'll get that DS9 novel in there at some point. Yeah, let's let's make that happen, Pocket. We can do it <laughs> uh, all together. Um, well, Bill, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been awesome getting to talk to you much newest book and i hope everybody will go out and read this one i really enjoyed it i think it's it's a it's a fantastic read and and well worth it uh, especially if you enjoy all of the characters on tos not just you know your main ones and so um and a, a really interesting alien race so thank you for joining us thank you for inviting me i had fun thanks a lot for joining us well, Matthew, I'm really glad that William was able to join us this week with Shocks of Adversity just hitting shelves over the past week or so. And it was a really interesting TOS book. And I like the issues that he was able to explore in there and, and flesh out. You know, I think TOS is a great time period for exploring these issues. And unfortunately, they didn't really do it on the TV series because it was shot in the 60s and it just was you know it's a product of its time but i love seeing the tos characters in sort of a modern sensibility but yet the voices and all are still very true to what we're familiar with from the 60s yeah i think that that's probably the most important thing you know when you're going to write a tie-in novel you really need the characters to sound like the characters uh so that if they're talking about something or they're thinking about something in their head you can automatically hear the voice of that actor yeah, doing absolutely. that that voice. And and so uh, Bill really gets that so well. And so I was really glad that we were able to talk through some of those things. 
Most definitely. Well, let's tell everyone where to find us if they would like to share their thoughts on anything we talked about today in news or on the shocks of adversity. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks, and that will come to Matthew and me by email. You can also go to our forums at trek.fm slash forums and join in the conversation with other listeners as well as us. There's a section for Literary Treks as well as one for books and novels. And in the case of today's topic, there's one for the original series as well. You'll also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and on Twitter under username trekfm. And also, if you'd like to send us a voicemail, you can easily do that now. You can go to any page on our website and you'll see a tab on the right hand side of the page. Just click that, a box will open up and allow you to record a voicemail with your camera's microphone. And then you can upload it to us through that box as an MP3 file. So it's an awesome way to actually make your voice heard. Matthew, what if people would like to find you personally? Well, Chris, if you'd like to find me personally, uh, you can do that on Twitter at MattRushing02, talking about all sorts of things these days. So many great films coming out this uh, summer, having a lot of fun, uh, heading off on vacation pretty soon. So talk about that a little bit, going hiking and stuff like that. Um, so give me an at reply. Let me know you're following me and talk about something fun. Um, I do have a personal blog. You can check that out. It's uh, 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com where I write all sorts of different things there um, that I don't get to necessarily write, just have to write about Star Trek. And then, of course, Chris, we do the orb together every week where we talk Deep Space Nine all the time. And so if you love Deep Space Nine or you feel like you should love Deep Space Nine like Chris and Bill and I do, then listen to the show. We will definitely convince you that it's totally worth it to be watching through Deep Space Nine with us. So uh, those are the places that people can find me. But Chris, if people want to find you, the man who is just about to see Into Darkness for the first time (laughs) next week, where can we find you? All right. Well, if you want to talk to me on Twitter, my username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that username. You can also find me elsewhere on the network every week besides the orb doing the ready room where we talk about all of the live action series as well as the movies and some special topics. We're joined by uh, many guests every week, other hosts from the network. And also, we just celebrated our 100th show on The Ready Room. So if you haven't listened to that yet, you can hear Matthew on there with me, as well as nine other hosts from the network at trek.fm slash TRR100. And also, uh, Matthew, just like you, I do have my own website. I have finally finished revamping it, redesigning it, updating some of the content. That's at cbrianjones.com. So very easy to find. And also, before we let everyone go, we would like to invite you to support our sponsors for this week's show. First, there's Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store. It's a fantastic hosting platform as well as a fantastic CMS. You'll absolutely love it, I promise you. Give it a try free, 14 days no credit card required. And then when you sign up as a Trek FM listener, you'll save 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. That's lifetime savings. Just go to squarespace.com and use offer code TREK6 to get your discount. 
And also, we'd like to thank TrekFan. Now, TrekFan isn't just a fan club. It's a challenge. It's a really unique place where you'll learn new things. You'll collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and you'll win great prizes. Listeners have been telling us very interesting things about TrekFan, so just go and try it out for yourself. There's a challenge waiting for you on the website at trekfan.org. And uh, if you can solve that challenge, you'll get even more information about this very unique opportunity for Star Trek fans at trekfan.org. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. <laughs>